Frog, welcome. Woo! What's going Thank on, you. everybody? Thank you. Thank you. We are back. Uh, this is episode eight of the Frog Snacks podcast. Um, got a bunch of things we want to talk about. Hopefully, we'll have time for all of them, but you never know. Uh, first things first, uh, my my PC build, my very first PC build is done. Um, I uh, was coerced into building one. Um, about it was a, like political coercion. Yeah, it was. It was some like uh, there was some espionage going on. I was definitely probably brainwashed, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I I said okay, fine. I I have the money. I'll do it. Um, did my research. Uh, bought all the parts and constructed it in about a a fifteen day span. Um, I'm happy. What? I'm happy with it so far. It's it looks great. It's super sleek. I did like a black and orange aesthetic. Um, I only built it. I only finished it two days ago, so I haven't had a ton of time to to you know mess with everything. And I'm also relearning how to use Windows, uh, which I haven't used since 2007. So um, it's a whole it's a whole learning process. But I got my I got my Steam account back up, which um, I had said I hadn't logged in in like three years. <laughs> dust that shit off. Yeah, dusted that off. Got um, I got Pillars of Eternity. Um, I got Ooh. World of Tanks, um, maxing out settings and stuff. But I haven't had a whole lot of time to play. I the only thing I know that I need to do right now is fix one issue, which is audio. Um, Built-in speakers on the monitor are, as you would guess, kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, really it, it it's not so much the quality as it is the volume I, you know that i'm perfectly fine in a quiet environment but it's it's too quiet like i they're all the way up and i can't hear i can't hear anything so that must be that must be bad because <laughs> for those of you who don't know uh uh snacks and i have a a little bit of a difference when it comes to <laughs> matters of audio audio preference yes your- audio preference Generally speaking, he prefers things to be a little quieter. I want it jacked up as loud as possible without bleeding my ears. Yeah. So he wants he wants like uh like an like an eardrum damaging decibel level, just like <laughs> just like pounding at his face, and that's when he's happy. I I just want, I want it to the be, bass turned up always. I just I just want it to be audible through uh external noise and right now if i have like if i have like a teapot on the stove like on the other side of the room i can't hear what's going on in this pc so i i I definitely got to fix that i've been looking into like um into like dacs digital audio converters and um like small small speakers small like uh like two channel speakers Uh, i probably won't do 2.1 um but uh, and or I also, if you want to be really cool, I do. Uh, I'm gonna plug my shout out to Astro because I love Astro. Uh, I was put on Astro, and what did I get this? I got this pair. I have the A30s, and I've had them since I believe 2009. Yeah, it was 2009. I remember when you and got them. You remember that day? How you remember how excited I was? I was like a, a mm-hmm. kid in a candy store. Yeah, hype mode was activated. Hyatt mode was on full blast, and it didn't stop. Like, the off button broke as of that day. Because every time I use these headphones, including right now, for that matter, 
Uh, it's nothing but a joyous experience. They're extremely comfortable. The audio quality is amazing, particularly when you couple them with the mix amp. I can't say enough good things about them. Yeah, they cost money, but I think you get every dollar out of them. And like I said, I've been using this pair since 09 now. And I'm just even thinking about how long that's been. But it's so great. I, I'm not even thinking about replacing them. Yeah, or for, using something for technology, that's, that's six years. That's a, a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. And you'll get, I think these are 5.1 audio right mm. in your ears, and it's, it's wonderful. So, that might be something to consider, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, so, so, the audio is the only thing I know that I need to fix, like, right away. Every, uh, everything else, like, um, internal temperatures are okay. I might get an aftermarket CPU cooler. I, I know there's, like, a fan. Uh, there's like a, a case fan that I'm looking at. It's um, 140, uh, 140 millimeter fan with orange blades. It'll fit the aesthetic really nicely. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. So that's going on. Um, but to jump into today's topic, uh, we have two topics that we want to talk about. Hopefully, we can get to both. But the first one, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try and bring it up. Um, and this is where this is where I'm going to go off on a, a little bit of a tangent. We we initially came up with the idea of this discussion uh, about two weeks ago, and what ended up happening is uh, we did the Kojima episode last time, and it gave me an extra week to think about how how this sort of mini phenomenon happens, and and. Um, it evolved. It's so it's evolved quite a bit. The inspiration originated after reading an article about the way open world video games lay out their narratives uh, differently than linear uh, type video games uh, because of the large gaps of independent gameplay in between more story driven quests or missions. So it can lessen the impact of the arc, which is the argument that the uh, that the author was making. I thought that was interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. but, the, but the most interesting thing that that came out of it wasn't the, wasn't the argument that he made, which was perfectly sound, but it was the first time he used, he used Grand Theft Auto as an example. And it was the first time that I had ever, that I had ever noticed a game in the Grand Theft Auto series or even, or even a Rockstar game referred to as open world rather than sandbox, right? It's always okay. it's always referred to as sandbox style. It's never referred to as open world. Open world seems to be uh, a term that's used exclusively for RPGs, which I thought was interesting. And you know, Frog and I tend to think about small nuances and linguistics like that with a little bit too much depth, and so that's what happened. So that's what happened. I, I thought about it a lot, and I started to ask myself questions, and I came up with some theories, and I might have dr- have drawn parallels where they may may or may not exist, and that's what this whole uh, thing is about because I want to see if if what I came up with is actually a thing or if I'm crazy. So, um, so, so we're gonna talk it out, bro. So initially, I, I bring up I bring up the episode idea frog as to why we only use the words open world and linear in regards to RPGs. Now, you could argue that all games are either open world or linear or a combination of the two and any game that possesses a single player a single player campaign of some sort has to tell the story somehow and right. has to let you play through it either linear linearly or in a more sandboxy open world environment, right? <clears throat> so um but it, it's it's never used for like shooters, right? Like like all the Halo games are super linear. You can't you can't do anything that's not 
outside of the, totally the confines of the level or totally scripted. You're you're playing through you're playing through the story, start to finish. Right. That's it. But you would never read a review of a Halo game and have the word linear be used either you know as a good thing or a negative thing. It doesn't matter. The word's never used, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting, and and a few days passed, and we did the Kojima episode, and I thought about the episode, uh, the topic more because I was like, okay, we're we're definitely going to do it this week now, and um, another discussion came up uh, with, and this is where the the like tangent thing happens. This is where I start to go in like this big circle, right? So I was uh, okay driving down driving down to DC last weekend with my girlfriend, and we're listening to the radio, and I I say, you know, it's so great now, like. Uh, popular music now is so good. It's so good. Um, I made the argument that popular music was was pure shit from about 1997 to 2007, right? But it's like getting a lot better, and it's we're now at the point where it's really good. And she disagreed that it was pure shit during our formative years, but agreed that it was a lot better now than it was 10 years ago. And we both agreed that the part of the reason is because of the noticeably, noticeably complex overlapping of genre that exists right. <clears throat> so it would be, I mean, it would be negligent at best and disrespectful to artistic talent at worst to describe last year's random access memories as simply a disco album, right? There's, there's, it would be a crime. It would be a crime. There's so many things that you could say about it. it beyond labeling it and yeah you could call it a disco album but there's i would be like and and there's so much more you need to you need to say about it you know terms like rap and rock disco gospel country are all terms that have are that are at least 40 years old at this point and musical talent and innovation evolves beyond this outdated terminology and newer stuff is becoming very messy to classify right we've been using qualifiers instead of new words phrases like post-hardcore are given to bands like La Dispute and Defeater just because they scream sometimes and use distorted guitar settings sometimes. It's shallow and unfair because bands like that, which are out right now, um, and those two in particular, have created a brand of musical storytelling that is novel-worthy and whose musicianship builds settings in ways I haven't seen since Led Zeppelin. And people are just like, oh, they're kind of like a hardcore band, but they're post-hardcore because they're a little bit different. Like They defy classification for the most part, and I, I... I, I think it's probably human nature to want to put things in little boxes to classify and label like so many dead insects pinned to a corkboard in a museum. <laughs> it, it is absolutely human nature. Absolutely human nature, right? So, so then I keep thinking about it, and I keep thinking about it, and I keep thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, well, well, what about what about this phenomenon that I noticed with the RPG element? Like, why do we only use these terms when describing RPGs, but not when describing shooters, right? Um, mm. This is uh, a term that I came up with called branding exclusivity, right? This issue uh, has a little bit more evidence to back it up than just a car ride I had with my girlfriend a couple of days ago. But when I mean to say – when I say branding exclusivity, which is a term I made up and the same concept most assuredly has a better name for it somewhere. I'm just not aware of it. Is our predisposition to classify the same thing using different words based on our expectations or sometimes even prejudice? Do you remember – after Hurricane Katrina, when media outlets would, would use the word looting or finding based on the color of the people searching for food. 
right? Which, that, is, which is still a sore spot for many people, but yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, but that's what I'm talking about, right? The, the same thing exists in other things too, like like in sports. I read an article recently that um, and I mean, there's been at least one study that's that's used some sort of word filter to find out what terms were used more for black athletes versus white athletes. And it's interesting because they're they're hardly ever disparaging, but they're they're most certainly different and drawn along ethnic lines, right? Like we have it, it, these studies have found that um, words like tough and scrappy were used almost exclusively for white players, and words like athlete and talent were used for black players, right? And it's like, yeah, they're professional athletes. They're all tough, scrappy, talented, and athletic. Like, why do we have this? verbal schism why is this second vocabulary exist just to describe the same thing for different for the for different uh ethnicities right right like skin colors it's it's I, and there's so many more examples and i you know but bringing it back to video games i think that this natural desire to label pretty much everything right mm-hmm. um but at the end of the day we're talking about art music uh video games, arguably even athletics, right, is, a, is an art and it's hard to describe. And the words that we have kind of suck. I mean, it's inherently difficult to, to define art, but the words that we have just aren't doing it justice anymore, especially when the words that we have are so old, in, in, especially in relation to the stuff that's out now. I mean, you can't use a 40-year-old word to describe an album that came out last year. And you know, though people will certainly try. They will certainly try, and you know, I do think that it's human nature, and I think that the same trends are affecting how we rate and review them, right? Mm-hmm. And we're in an era, we're in an era now where genre crossover is almost the norm in video games as it is in popular music, right? But the words that we have for video games are are also old and shitty. Like, look at Borderlands, right? It's a shooter, but. It's also Diablo, except it's funny and lighthearted, but it's also right. open world and it's not dungeon based and it also happens in space. And what brilliant word <laughs> did we come up with to describe Borderlands? Shoot and loot? I'm sorry, that's atrocious. That's the worst <laughs> thing ever. Like, we have got to do better than that or just not at all. Well, I mean, in that particular case, I don't think that's – I mean, if you if you break it down, if you, if you have to say to somebody in five seconds, what are you doing in Borderlands? Shoot and loot is a pretty good description. I mean, yes, of course, you dramatically undersell what the experience is about. Exactly. But. And that's the point, right? That's that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm saying, like, if we're going to we, – we use words like open world and linear to describe RPGs almost exclusively, right? And then there's this great – and then it, it made me think of that great extra credits episode arc that you um, – that you sent to me where, where they talk about RPGs, but they ask you to ask yourself what constitutes an RPG, right? And they explain the history of RPGs in Japan and the history of RPGs in the West and how, um, culturally, how they, they, they've been affected by the cultures of those regions and why Western RPGs tend to be more open world and why Japanese RPGs tend to be more linear. And so now we, are starting to label RPGs based on what we expect from companies like Square Enix or Bethesda, right? If Bethesda Bethesda came out with an RPG that was a hallway, we would use the word, you would find the word linear 800 times in every, you know, (laughs) in every review of that game, you know, and it wouldn't be a good thing or a bad thing, but they would be like, Oh, we expected this one thing and it's, it's something else. And this is the only word we have and we're going to beat it into the ground. And, you know, so I, that's as far as my thought process got me, and it, and I, 
I'm all for, you know, radical systematic upheavals and everything. And I would love to just make it illegal to use descriptors in video game and album reviews, but that's not <laughs> happening. So that is certainly not how. So it's the, happening. so the, so the question I want to ask you, Mr. Frog and the listener is how do we, how do we continue? How do we go about classifying? I, I know we've talked about the video game review before and you know what the future of it is, but now I'm, now I'm talking about um, the reviews that, that exists now and, and assuming that, you know, and hopefully that the written review continues. Uh, what, what words do we use? I mean, these, we can't neatly columnize these art mediums anymore. You know, it, they're right. becoming increasingly difficult to define. And I mean, how should we go about, go about it? If you don't have any ideas, I don't blame you because I don't. I, it's, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Okay. Well, you, you threw quite a lot out there. It was all good. It's very good. But you threw quite a lot out there. Uh, but I'm glad you touched on the, the central point, which is that uh, genre convergence is really the name of the game across the board. And I hadn't even really thought about it so much where it came to music, but you're absolutely right that uh, definitely in music, there is a tremendous amount of genre convergence that I do think has made a lot of, if we're talking about straight pop, yeah, a lot of it is much better these days. Though I would argue in general that pop music is leans toward the shitty, but that's another discussion for another day. Uh, as far as games uh, and how do we kind of move past, you know, corny little <laughs> two-second descriptions, the pro- we, we bump up against a core problem, right? Which is that this is the same thing we discussed in the review uh, episode, which is that uh, you have an audience who kind of wants to, okay, what's the quick and dirty? What, what What's the bottom line? Come on, come on, give me the number. If you have, right. if you have to read out of 10, give me a number. What, what is it? What is it? What is it? And, of course, you're like, well, I don't want to give it a number because you're just going to judge it off the number and you're not going to look any further than that. Sometimes they'll be like, no, I'm not. And then you're like, well, I'd give it a six. Oh, I'm not playing it. <laughs> See? <laughs> right. Right, you know. I, so yeah, go ahead. You're you're bumping up against that core issue of how do you elaborate versus giving somebody what they need without making them sit there for forty five years. Um, to the specific point that you're asking about, the best thing I would think is simply comparisons, which is hardly a perfect solution, but at least it gives you it's a better way to at least give somebody a quick idea without ruining things so like you know a lot of these indie games now i notice at least uh when people are trying to describe them as they write about them they'll say okay think of you took the term metroidvania for example you know which has now become a genre because there's so many games Mm -hmm. doing it that's a pretty good example you know it's uh it's supposed to be the conventions of metroid and the conventions of castlevania or you might say you have a what's like I'm trying to think of a good one uh, Diablo like every every like dungeon based isometric you know yeah all those RPGs. games will inevitably get compared to Diablo mm-hmm. plus whatever else gets layered on top yeah I mean if you think about a lot of indie games now the main way that they try to distinguish themselves is basically be being like okay well what if we took this and mixed it with that oh here's an example I just thought of Darksiders. You take Zelda and mix it with God of War or Devil May Cry. Mm-hmm. Ta-da. 
you know. And and having played that series, I think that's a very very apt description of uh, of what's actually going on. Now, unfortunately, those only work if uh, if you're talking to somebody who's played the games you're mentioning. You know, I can say that right. to you because I know you've played Devil May Cry or God of War before, and I know you've played Zelda before, so I know you can mentally combine the two and be like, okay, I know what that means. Right. But I'm so, saying, like, if with, like I like we know, like you, you've you're describing Borderlands to somebody who's never played video games before, and you call it a shoot and loot, and they're just like, I'm gonna read a book instead. Like, like, I, like that one in particular irked me a little bit. I, I was like, that one's that's really bad. But everybody knows what a shooting loot is who plays video games, and it's just like, oh, are we just yeah. are we just lying down and taking it? Or are we just saying like, yeah, you know, it's through the English language. Just just come up with whatever is like cutesy and is to the point. And you know what? Uh, I don't know. I, I think. Well, um, this is kind of the problem in general where, where games are concerned is that it's so difficult unless you're talking about. The kind of game, again, we're going back to indie games where a, a lot of developers have smartly put their focus on doing very easy to understand experiences that do not require a lot of explanation, uh, both in terms of concept and in terms of actually manipulating the game. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's one of the problems you have if, if we go to the development perspective. You're making your game, you're like, okay, well, I now need to communicate the value of my product to, you know, a potential audience. How am I going to do that? And if you, if you say from the outset, okay, well, I'm going to make something that's simple, but you know, we'll have some legs because it's just really fun. That makes it a lot easier for you because then your explanation of what the game is may only be a sentence, which will be a lot easier to get people to say, Oh, well, let me pick it up and try it. And then it'll be even better if then, well, how do I play? You know, and a one sentence will tell you how to play, you know, something like a Borderlands or anything that is aimed at the existing fan base is a much tougher nut to crack because it almost exclusively relies on prior knowledge. Right. So. So are are we getting are we getting to the point now where if you. Are we making it more difficult? If we're if that's if that's the course that we're going to take, if if that's what we're going to say, we're going to say, okay, like this is how we're going to describe it, and we're going to use prior knowledge of video. Are we making it more difficult for people who aren't who aren't gamers to know what's going on? Are we making the barrier for entry that much more difficult because we haven't been able to catch up with you know with describing what people are coming out with nowadays? Uh, that's an interesting point. I would argue that there's the description would really be the only tip of the iceberg in that respect. Because if you think, here here comes our first mention of our favorite company, Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that they... We should, do, uh, we, should do, we should do one episode where we're like not allowed to use the word Nintendo. It's impossible, especially for me. Yeah, bad, <laughs> bad idea. Forget it. Bad idea. But especially if we start talking about game design, it's impossible to talk about game design without bringing them up. Uh, and this is like, what I'm about to bring up is game design. Because one of the things that they've kind of been trying to do, mostly failing, but trying to do, is, okay, well, we see that games have been steadily getting more and more complicated. How do we kind of ensure that they don't become so complicated that they become ghettoized, essentially? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
their efforts in that area have not been particularly fruitful, but you know, points for trying. Yeah. But this is kind of, this is kind of the, the core issue, right? You know, now we have, I remember there's actually a great Polygon opinion article that was talking about this, you know, just if you just take a step back and realize the level of, you know, you can start with the hand eye coordination. If you pick up a PlayStation or Xbox controller and realize that you're looking at something, you have two sticks that, mind you, in almost every game now, you're expected to use in concert, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a D-pad, which in many cases does separate functions than the sticks. You know, four face buttons, four trigger buttons, two of which are pressure sensitive. And now the things have motion control on top of all that. And then you get into what's going on in the game itself, where you're now expected to navigate these crazy 3D environments, uh, sometimes without even a map. And even if there is a map, now you have to be able to interpret that properly. So just the the, right. the, and, and at this the point, amount of skills that are needed just to play right. a game in 2015 are, is a pretty high bar. Yeah, and at this point, you've already had a grand mal seizure and are foaming <laughs> at the mouth. Pretty much, because I I think of people, even in my own family, who are like, oh, yeah, I used to play games, but then, you know, they expected me to do this dual stick business, and I was like, this is not happening. And, you know, I I understand. Even I, for a long time, wouldn't play most console shooters because I was so bad at uh, dual stick manipulation, I eventually got over it. Mm -hmm. But even that took a lot of experience just to do We'll do it because we care that much. But will your average person do that? Not really. Right. So, so I mean, as far as description, it's. I'm just saying that as far as the description, the description is really like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, yeah, you're right. Like the des- like the description, the description is obviously much more easy to understand than you know to to somebody who is familiar with the the, the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, it you know it just it just remind it just reminds me of like what my first game system was right and how few buttons it had and it's like right. now I mean do you think as I mean we we've seen the average age of the gamer go up year by yep. year pretty much yep. uh, to the point now where we're you know we're looking at. Guy, you know, in their people in their late thirties, early forties, as, as the average age, right? When these people started playing video games, they had an A button, a B button, and a couple of directional buttons. Yep. Right. So, kid, like, let's say you give a kid a 3DS, and that's his first system. He's already got twice as many buttons: shoulder buttons, directional buttons, and uh, a thumbstick. And then, if you give him the new 3DS, they've got the they've got the nub also right and and don't forget that you have a whole touch screen which will probably also have functions mapped onto it and the touch screen right and right now that is the simplest button layout of any current generation console handheld or otherwise <laughs> this is true so that's kind of scary that is scary right and like i have a ton of younger cousins and none of them play video games none of them and Not even mobile games, like on an iPad or something. Uh, rarely, 
rarely. Like they don't have an iPad, but if one is around and there's like Angry Birds on it, they'll play it but get bored very quickly. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, I know their parents, they're my aunts and uncles. They're, they're not, they're not opposed to them playing games, but do you think that, do you think that the barrier for entry is really high and it, and it doesn't stop at how we review games? Does it, is it now that there are, I mean, you could argue that, you know, a lot of Nintendo games are, you know, visually very kid friendly, but I mean, even if you just look at the controller, like that's a great point. Are, are, are kids, you know, are sub 10 year old children just looking at it and saying, I would rather watch somebody play this? Uh, the answer is, the answer is yes. Right. I mean, we've seen that. That's definitely a trend. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're going to see to a large degree, I'm actually surprised when you said that there's not a lot of mobile going on because what I see is that um, a lot of kids are tending away from the 3DS kind of things and just saying, oh, well, give me the iPad. I'm going to rock out on that. I mean, they're kids. When we were kids, we didn't have that option. If we had that option, we'd probably do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, because quick, easy, and it's already in the house, as opposed to going and yanking our mom's uh, coattails until she coughs up the 180 and buys you a 3DS of some kind. You know, so right. back I mean, in I, the day, I am only mom's going off of was what you're going to do. Yeah, I am only going off of one family. I'm not like stu- yeah. I'm not like studying people's families. No, no, of course, I'd be, of course, in, I'd be but, in jail. Um, yeah. <laughs> Now, yeah, we all know that we'd be like, uh, you know, hanging on for dear life while mom is walking around Toys R Us. <laughs> yeah. Please, please. Oh, yeah. But given that there's so many other options now, it's just not that big a deal for kids. Uh, and especially because mobile games definitely fit the bill for what I was talking about before, which is quick and dirty explanation, you know, uh, of what it is and quick and dirty explanation of how to play. And you're off to the races. Right. Right. You know, uh, for Nintendo's part, they've actually, I think, had to shift their strategy to a large part just for survival, really. Because, like, the 3DS has actually become more complicated because who is the fan base for the 3DS now? Really existing hardcore gamers. That's how they're really differentiating the device. Yeah. This is the device that you're going to get premium gaming experiences on, not, you know, the $2 mobile joints. So, I think what's, I mean, this, this what Nintendo actually does with this whole DNA deal may actually prove to be very interesting for the industry at large, because this they would be offering, I think, the clearest pipeline for people who are kind of in that mobile realm to try and become interested in standard, or what we view as standard gaming experiences. If they're successful in doing that, you may see a lot of other companies try to pull off similar feats. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's doubting that this is like what everybody has sort of has their eye on in the industry is how this is going to flesh out. Yeah, because it's definitely very interesting because that really is one of the biggest, I think, future long-term problems for the industry, which is going to be how to, you know, keep this going. 
I mean, already we see to a certain degree that it's not cutting it as far as all these games that cost 20 and 30, 40 million dollars to make. Yeah. Because they're just not getting the numbers of people backing them to make it a financially viable proposition. So ultimately, and the competition's only getting hotter, there are only more products of every kind out every year. So ultimately, you need to have more people that are actively playing. And the only way to get more active players is to make it a little more attractive to start playing. Um, but you have, I'm sure you have a lot of people on the internet who would hear this and be like, well, screw them. I don't need them poisoning my gaming with their you know, corny, casual, easy mode, <laughs> whack schemes. What, me- me- <laughs> mellow mode? Yeah, me- <laughs> mellow mode, exactly. I'm gonna stream. Course- I'm gonna stream myself playing Yoshi's Woolly World on mellow mode, just to piss people off. <laughs> oh, you would. You would get so much. I think you'd probably get swatted. <laughs> <laughs> God, just for doing that, you'd God. probably get swatted. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so funny. If especially if I acted like it was kind of tough, or if I was giving like I was giving like uh, like um, like really in depth strategic insight as to what was happening. But I'm exactly. just like I'm just like floating casually through the level, not taking any damage. <laughs> okay, so I'm what like, I really need to do here, yeah, <laughs> is I've got to get around this shy guy. All right, you guys ready? And you just like fly over him. Yeah, I'm like I found I, I found that the tactic that works that works best for for completing this lava level is to turn on mellow mode, <laughs> <laughs> and then I do it, and then I I coast through, and then uh, and then the next thing I know that the FBI is at my door. Yeah, exactly. Because some nerd on the other side of the world. Just- uh, head exploded in rage, <laughs> and so the FBI was promptly contacted. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the world we live in, people. Um, yeah, that's the world we live in. But all jokes aside, uh, this is kind of the problem. And I think we, if you want the description thing, I don't think you're going to get much better descriptions until you get games that are not as crazy complicated to warrant, you know weird descriptions which is not to say i think we should get rid of complicated games by any stretch of the imagination uh but it's kind of one of those things where you know you you have to take the bitter with the better i think yeah but i mean I, I i don't think that i don't think that i can call borderlands uh, a complicated game right it's a it's it's mm-hmm. just a it's just a shooter to me it's just a shooter you know i i don't think it's much more complicated than that they just do it they just do it differently than another shooter you might have played, right? So, so how? I mean, for the descriptor, I I think that um, we can. I think we can do a better job because we're, I mean, what, what's another what's another game out there that is like a whole bunch of different things? I mean, Borderlands is definitely one of them, but I mean, what about um, like what about what about Pillars of Eternity? That just came out, right? And I, I've played it a little bit, and it's it's like very it's like very lore based. It's it's like Diablo, but it's very lore based. And and like, couldn't you just call it like? I don't think it's an oversimplification to call it a, a like a lore based isometric RPG, right? That's nice. That's nice and short and sweet without without really, you know, just insulting the development team. I think calling Borderlands. <laughs> I think calling Borderlands a, a shoot and loot is just like 
going over to Gearbox and saying like, hey, that thing that you made is super cute. We're going to write a review about it. We're going to call it a shoot and loot. Is that okay? Great. Um, And they're just like, well, I mean, we put a lot of time into this game. And you're like, yeah, I know. But like, we're going to write this article for four-year-olds. So because that's that's who we think is going to buy your game. So we're going to call it a shoot and loot because that's cute. And then they're just like mad. Like I, I think that we can do a better job. And, and I, I don't know if, and even, even with music, like I hate the term, I hate the term post hardcore, right? Like it's used in, it's used for so many rock bands now. And it's like, what does that even mean? Like what is post anything? Like that music genre still exists. I'm listening to this band right now. Like why would, what, what is post hardcore? What is that? Like you're insulting these people. They're musically talented. I, I just think that we need to do a better job. And I think we can without, without, uh, without heightening the already high barrier for entry, right? I think that we can say in a very concise way, it is these three genres and, you know, you'll like it if you like these two genres. It's sort of a mashup of that. Like that's only, that's still only one sentence. We're still, we're still communicating directly to the people, uh, in a, in a non pompous, like made up way. Right. I mean, in the rock world, it's particularly obnoxious because, you don't like if you look in like any the pop music genres, less than electronic because in electronic they're starting to get a little ridiculous too. But oh, definitely totally. rap. There, uh, like, what is trance? Is it many. supposed to hypnotize me? Like, what is that? <laughs> like well, these actually, words are all awful. <laughs> I've never well, understood house is music. To be more of a trippy groove style, you know. Okay, like music, like, like like it's a tri- it's a trippier, groovier electronica. Like, what is trance? Like, I don't think that that's fair to somebody who's not who doesn't know anything about electronic music, right? Like, I don't listen to electronic music. I have no clue what the difference between trance, house, dubstep. I don't know. I I know these words exist. I have no idea what they mean, and I'm like I'm disinclined to listen to them because there's it's a terrible explanation. It's a made up word that isn't doing anybody justice, right? Like, like why can't you say for a a, a trance group or artist or DJ? Uh, yeah, he's like a really mellow electronic guy. Like it's cool to listen to if you're just like need some like ambient sound while you're doing drugs like you know like why can't you say that like why can't why can't you describe uh like somebody somebody once told me that house music is electronica with lyrics okay that makes so much more sense to me than how like what house like what i listen to all my music in my house is it is it become house music it did it's it's so bad. It's so bad. And I'm sure if you're out there and you're listening and you and you're a big Electronica fan, I'm I'm don't take my, you know, my j- jovial, my like jokiness as an insult. Like I I'm not insulting anybody's uh preference for music, but I do I, I want you to know where I'm coming from. Like these these words right. don't make any sense to anybody who's uninitiated. And if we're gonna use the terms like shoot and loot to describe a video game to somebody who never played video games before, they're gonna be like that sounds disgusting. What is that? 
That sounds gross. Shooting loot. You, and, well, I mean, if you think about it, you shooting loot in Metal Gear Solid. Would you ever call Metal Gear Solid a shooting loot because you picked up a ration off a corpse? Like, no. <laughs> right? Like, there, there's we gotta do. That's better. a very that's a very fair point. We've gotta do better. I'm saying I'm saying I think that we can do better, be accessible, and not oversimplify a genre or a video game. I think we could do all of those things and, and still come up with like a coherent, very quick, very, you know, straight to the point description of what a game is like. Like, yeah, it might not be three syllables, but it'll be less than a sentence. <laughs> yes. And you know? it won't be as ridiculous as shoot and loot. Yeah. Or post hardcore or house. <laughs> like what is, what, what? <laughs> post hardcore. Yeah. The, the <laughs> There really are some wacky descriptors out there, um, and you know, ultimately though, I would I would say that um, that you're slightly overestimating how much stocky people even bother putting into it. Because here, at the end of the day, here's what really happens: if somebody sees something, uh, whether it's a band or artist or a video game or movie or whatever, and they get a little taste of it, and they're like, "That seems cool," they're gonna go and check it out. That's really it. Yeah. You know, which is why, and particularly in the world of games, which is why um, it's so important for like a lot of these indie developers to be out at shows like PAX because they just cut straight to the audience and be like, here, here's a controller. Try my game out. That's it. You know, no, you don't even need a really description. Right. Somebody just walks by, see that there's like some cute blob on the screen. That's what happened to me. I put that game Move or Die referenced. I basically walked by. I was like, oh, there's a cool blob on the screen. I want to see what this is about. And I picked up a controller and I was like, this is a really cool game. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what happened with me with, with Jotun. I saw, I saw like a, a Viking woman beating the shit out of a Yeti. And I was like, this looks great. And I just, <laughs> that's it. I just waited in line. The guy, who, the, one of the developers was talking to me about it, but like he had an accent and I was just <laughs> like, I was, I was only half paying attention to him because I was watching the screen. So... Yeah, it's 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 hard. I wish, um, but I'm saying like if the if if reviews if if reviews if written reviews want to remain relevant when there are other options like going to PAX or like watching a stream or watching a let's play on YouTube, right? They they need to step up their game a little bit. The writing is almost always great, and you know I I, I will forever say that you know I'm I'm a fan of the written review, and I, I hope they stick around even wow. into the future. I will continue to read them. I do love video game journalism in the right. in the in the traditional written sense, but like just just this for this one thing, like for this one little thing that like doesn't even come up that often when it does like notice that it's not, it's, it's not doing uh, anybody a, a, a good service. I, I think that we can do so much better and it really only amounts to like one or two sentences out of your entire article. Um, so, so that's something, that's something that I, I thought uh, way too much about. Don't ever let me think about things for more than two weeks uh, ever because I, I, I end up like, <laughs> you know, this happens. So <laughs> yeah, to be honest, we didn't even need to go that far in depth, but it was a good discussion. So I, I had to, because I, I gave myself way too much time to think about it. Um, 
Well, there was there was one more thing we did want to address today. Yeah. Uh, which I, I'm actually pretty eager to talk about. Yeah. Let's see if we can knock it out in like uh, 15 minutes. We're about the we're about at the 45 minute mark already. Okay, so well, we may we may come back to this a little later, but mm-hmm. uh, you were bringing up the whole idea of character design. I mean, we were talking about fighting games, but we can really just talk about character design. Yeah, because it, it brought uh, up because of a specific uh, fighting game title that that made a, an announcement, and, it, and I sort of noticed it happening across several mediums, not just video games. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so you were bringing up. Uh, we were talking most specifically about Tekken because uh, there was there's actually a couple of um, not even well there's one controversy but there's a couple of uh, discussion sparkers uh, around Tekken character design as of late, both regarding kind of like the cultural background. So of course the first one was I forgot the name but like the uh, the very Japanese styled character who was basically like Cat Girl. <laughs> and then all the Western players, uh, their heads exploded. Yeah. And they and if the FBI was in Japan, they would have called <laughs> and tried to SWAT uh, Mr. Harada. <laughs> but uh, Man, but I gotta, they thankfully I, could not do that. Really quickly, I have to praise your like encyclopedic knowledge of people of Japanese people in the industry. I can never think of anybody's name for like <laughs> any, like any developer. Like I. Like Hideo Kojima is the only one I can like knock off like off dome every time. Like I, I always have to sit and think of like Miyamoto's name or like the dude who works in um like who like who the CEO of Nintendo is. I can never think of his name. What's his name? Iwata. There you go. See what I mean? Like I, I just have I do not ha- I always have to look up these guys' names. I feel terrible. But continue. <laughs> That's because you know what? Because once you start seeing like somebody's distinct kind of, just like you say with Ko- Mr. Kojima, uh, he has a very very distinct lane, and once you start to see everybody else's lane, it's very easy to remember who they are. Uh, yeah, so everybody was getting tight, and Harada was probably the, the most tight of all of them because he's like, "Really, guys, this character's not even for you. Please sit down." Yeah, and he's right. Yeah, he is right. He's right. Uh, and also the kind of the other discussion sparker. I don't even know if I would call it a controversy, but there's a lot of discussion because he said that he really wanted to get a character of a Middle Eastern background into the game yep. at the request of the Middle Eastern player base, um, which is and, in the fighting game community pretty sizable. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the cool things about the fighting game community. Uh, in relation to a lot of the other competitive communities is that I think it's a lot more diverse. You know, you really don't see a tremendous amount of diversity in, let's say, uh, upper level league players, upper level Starcraft or those kind of players. But when it comes to fighting games, you really get people of all backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, So I think that's the topic we're looking at, which is inclusion. It, I think, has a much greater weight in the fighting game world, Definitely. even though hilariously, uh, for the greater part of fighting game history, all the characters of very there've been characters of varying ethnic backgrounds in fighting game history for basically ever, and that's been pretty much the only genre of game that can make that claim to fame. But unfortunately, the inclusion is <laughs> 
pretty terrible up until recently. Yeah. And it's definitely it's definitely a trend now. So Tekken uh, Tekken announced the Middle Eastern player, uh, a Middle Eastern a character of Middle Eastern uh, origin uh, a while ago, maybe like a year ago. Uh, but they just mm-hmm. they just recently announced a uh, female character of uh, Philippine descent, right? So like they, this is like the first that I'm aware of uh, Philippine character. Um, which is great. I mean, there's definitely a huge uh, fighting game community in the Philippines, right? And this is the first. This is the first one that's made. Uh, right. Yeah. So so um so I I started thinking about it and I was like, oh, we should probably talk about it. We should probably do like a little um we should probably do like a little showcase, like a little uh, fighting game character showcase because they've they've definitely been at the forefront of inclusion just because they definitely have the least homogenous fan base, and you know they even, right. you know even uh. I mean, even like the original Street Fighter had like an Indian character, right? That that that's pretty rare, I think, in video game. Like having an Indian character, oh, absolutely, right? Absolutely. So, so I mean, they had. Uh, I mean, the original cast of Street Fighter had um, players from America, Japan, Brazil, India, uh, China, like all over the place, right? That's that's a, that's a cool thing. Um, the problem being that they're all raging stereotypes, but oh yeah, know, and that's that so that's the flip side. The flip side is that although inclusion is definitely a thing, right? So so here's mm-hmm. here, are the, here are the pros. The pros are, and the cons are the cons are going to be pretty dark. I'll just I'm just going to give you a heads up. But the pros are, um, people are starting to to <laughs> listen to their fan bases, saying, oh okay, yeah, like. We've noticed that we don't have uh, Street Fighter doesn't have any Korean players, so they add a jury, right? Um, Tekken right. Tekken notices that they have uh, fans in this part of the world, that part of the world. They add a character accordingly, right? Um, Blizzard in the game Overwatch tries their tries their darndest and comes up with a whole bunch of female characters. People say. Um, all these female characters are great. There's a, an Indian one, uh, an African American one, um, but they they're all they all have the same body type. So so they they announce uh, either during or right after packs um, a female character that is uh, that is like a, a larger, more muscular uh, Russian character that fulfills the tank role. Right? Cool. Um, then you start to see it in television and movies. Also, uh, one of the one of the best, um, one of the highest rated shows on television right now is Empire, which has a, a, a an all black cast, right? And it's the only show. I think I read a statistic where it was the only show um, yep. of the past like five years or whatever that the the ratings increased per episode rather than decreased. So it's getting a ton of press, and then there's that uh, that show, um, right. what Fresh Off the Boat or whatever. Where it's, it's it's about an Asian American family and all this other stuff. Now, and then and then you know you can forget about the the Marvel universe. They're turning everything on its on its head. That you know Thor is going to be a woman, and uh, Captain America is going to be black, and all this other great stuff. Um, now the the flip side is that nobody seems to be doing it right. Um, we're you know they're all new to it. So I understand, um, but there was an immediate backlash for the uh, the Overwatch character because they said that, um, yeah, like that's great that she's bigger and a tank, but this is just this is just another trope. This is just like 
the like the Olga like Olga from Metal Gear Solid, right? This is just this is just like the classic like brawlic brawlic Russian babe, like with a big gun. Like this is this is another trope. Like real women still aren't shaped that way. Like, and then you know you're, and then you, you yeah, know, it's. It's, it's really tough. It's super tough, you know, because you'll never nail it always. And then there was another uh, there was another argument that I read about, like, yeah, uh, people are always praising uh, Bioware for including people of all different, um, you know, sexualities and genders and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there was the, there was this huge criticism where they had uh, they had not changed the um, the movement of femshep so femshep was basically dude shep but with uh female reskinned so like you know people were saying like oh yeah this is great that you can play as a woman but they move the same way men and women don't move the same way so it's a it's a much larger endeavor than just reskinning a character with like a different palette and saying oh look we have a black character aren't we special give us awards like it's it's way more complex than that you need to really you know, you, you, you need to really get in there. Like you have to go very deep into that hole in order to come it, out. It's got to be something you're going to have to put a lot of effort into. You, you definitely do. And then the flip side or not the, the not another part on the, on the same side of this coin, I'll say is an argument that I noticed, uh, from a while ago on, um, on a, on a sports website, actually. Um, talking about the the trend in uh, that Marvel was going through with um, you know using using different um, using people of different ethnicities to play the same characters where that ethnicity is not a part of that person's character, right? Um, yeah, like it, it doesn't matter right. if Captain America is black because nowhere it doesn't say that he's black anywhere or white. It, he's just always been depicted as a white man. Like you can clearly have a, a black ca- Captain America without changing his character, right? And then there was the um, they were going to change uh, Spider Man to be like something else, and it was like, yeah, Spider Man's from Queens, right? Like I don't know if you've driven through Queens lately. There's not a whole lot of white kids anymore, right? So like it makes sense. And you can't you don't you don't change the character as long as his parents are dead and he got bit by a spider he's still Spider Man right so but the 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 argument that I saw which was interesting was that Hollywood and cable television are sort of on their way out and somebody had made the gimmick somebody had made the argument that this is a gimmick that the executives on all these boards who decide who goes in movies and who gets cast in movies and who gets cast in TV shows are overwhelmingly old white men, right? So we're looking at not a a celebration of inclusion, but a, somebody had said like, okay, look at, uh, look at the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? Came out over 20 years ago. Everybody on that show was black. Right. It was super popular. Right? Right. I said, I can't go a week without somebody mentioning Fresh Prince and that of any ethnicity. Right. So, so we're, 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 we're looking at right now. And then like for the next, you know, for the next like 20 years, we went back to the same formula, you know, white family with white perspective and white issues. And now that they're in dire straits, they're looking back at what did well 
and noticing those trends and saying, okay, we have to bring that back to keep ourselves afloat. So it's kind of um, something that you need to take with a grain of salt because, you know, maybe not so much with video games, but definitely with television and movies, you know, we're seeing this trend and it's, and it's great, but understand that the people who are making these decisions are not people of color, are not women usually. Um, they're still old white men and right. you know they're making these decisions as a as their their business decisions they're not ethical decisions so so it, it's it's important to to think about it that way and it's important to notice um this whole thing as a as a business structure and what needs to happen really is to get women and, and people of color into the boardroom right um, so we'll, we'll leave you, we'll leave you with that to, to think about for, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. one more before you go. Go ahead. Uh, what I was going to say is that in regards to that, uh, yeah, you're that basically with that argument, um, the reason I don't, t- I mean, here's what's correct. Yeah. All the decisions you see as far as like movies and all that, those are 100% business decisions. Uh, what I would say in response to that person, though, is that all the people who have been screaming for inclusion, that's what they've been saying the whole time, which is that, yeah, we want to be in here because, yeah, we want to be in here. But the main arguments that can be made to somebody making a decision is that it is good business. Uh, our society, American society anyway, is rapidly becoming very, very, very diverse, you know? So, of course, it's going to be a good strategy going forward if you're trying to increase your audience base to make things that appeal to, you know, an ethnically diverse audience, you know? Uh, and that's, I think, part of what fuels Empire's success. And so the reason you may see imitators of that is simply because of green. And there's no problem with that because at the end of the day, everybody gets what they want. The people making the show get money. And the people who are watching all this stuff are finally seeing stuff that includes them in a way that is not ridiculous. One of the points I'll make is that uh, we're correct to say that it's very, very important to have everybody kind of be in the, in the picture. But I'll say this one. This is, this is how I don't leave it. Uh, I would rather not be included than be included poorly. Fair. So, like me playing games, I've had no problem playing as dozens of white characters the entire time in play. No problem, I could care less. I would rather not have black characters in my game than have black characters that make me facepalm. Because now you killed my immersion too. Fair. Fair, right? Fair. So, I'll stop there. Well... We gave you guys a lot to think about this week. Um, we will be back next week. Um, please uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a, a good rating. Um, you can still uh, you can still tweet us at at Frog Snacks or email us at frogsnackspodcast at yahoo.com. Uh, we will see you guys next week. Peace.